Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you, worship team. I want to ask you today, what keeps you motivated in your work, in your career, in the work of life, in school, in just all the chores of life? My goodness, so much of life is just maintenance, isn't it? Like you got to do the dishes, you got to run the errands, you got to go uh, do the thing, you got laundry and homework and commuting and working and solving problems, collecting your paycheck. Today we're beginning a new series called Your Work matters to God. Work dominates our life. It defines our life. Work can determine where we live, what we do with our lives, how we spend our time. So today I want to begin this series with this question, why work? Why go to school? What reasons will keep us motivated? And that's not exactly a new question. Solomon 3,000 years, King Solomon 3,000 years ago asked, Why do people, what do people really get for all their hard work? In other words, what am I really getting? What's the payoff? What do I have to show for it? Now, some people think that work is actually a punishment from God. Many people think that. A lot of Christians even believe that. And the reason they think that is because the Bible says that after sin entered the world, God cursed the ground and kicked mankind out of the Garden of Eden and said, now you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. And that work would be painful now. It would be toil, painful toiling away. And so that's true. But even before sin entered the world, before the fall, before mankind was separated from God, we see in Genesis chapter 2, and, and sin doesn't enter, the fall doesn't happen until Genesis 3. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So even in paradise, work was part of God's plan. Work is a blessing. Work is not a curse. The result of sin is not work. The result of sin is that work is now a struggle. It's more difficult. It's more disappointing. It's drudgery. Because of sin... Work is painful, toiling away. But the Bible says that even God works. Jesus said, my father is always at his work. And he says, I am too working. God is constantly working, creating, fashioning, upholding. And the reason we work is we are made in God's image. Did you know that you're even going to work in heaven Like God has work for you to do in heaven. Only in heaven it will be good work. Your work in heaven will be fulfilling. You know like when when you've just had a great day at work, like one of those really good days, and you're just a good tired and you're really satisfied with the job that you did and everything came together. That's what it will be like in work in heaven. So work is not the enemy of your life. Work is an amazing opportunity of life. By the way, if... If this 
concept and just kind of the overarching thing of where we are and how God created things to be and what God is doing and where we are in this story and just getting some alignment there. If you're curious about those types of things, our foundations course is starting anew again next Sunday during the 11 o'clock service we'll be hosting our foundations courses and it's going to start out with a great introduction next Sunday and then uh, talk about where we got the Bible and where it came from how we can rely on it talk about God and his character what he's doing how we fit into being in the made in the image of God so if you have questions about creation about the Trinity uh, about this this storyline that we're on foundations is a great opportunity you'll hear about that again in the announcements but work is an amazing opportunity of life what kind of opportunity is it? You may say, well, I, I work because I got to get this stuff done. Or I, I have a job because I've got to pay the bills. I owe, I owe, so it's off to work, I go. But are there any higher levels of motivation? There are. In fact, the Bible gives us seven motivations for our work. And we're going to spend just a few minutes on each one today. We're going to start with the lowest, most basic motivation and work our way up to the highest level of motivation. By the way, I believe each one of these takes more faith than the one before. So I thought I'd just have a ladder up here with me today. This is simply just a prop, just, to, just a, a visual illustration because many times when we talk about work, we talk about climbing the ladder. We, when we talk about school, we talk about climbing the ladder. And there's the climbing the ladder of success. And so I enter in at the lowest place and no diploma, no degree, and I've got to get a degree and then enter in maybe in an apprenticeship or something else. And hopefully through promotions and through different things, I'll be able to climb the ladder of success, more pay, more motivation, more promotion. That I could climb into a better position. But what I'd love for us to see today, and by the way, I, I did have a th like a thought of me climbing this thing and something else, but then I remembered uh, one of my favorite blooper videos of all time. It's actually from decades ago of a guy selling a ladder and, you know, in front of people on a ladder. It didn't go well, so I didn't think this would go. I brought the video. It's not a very funny message today. Would you laugh at me or laugh with me about this today? Let's watch this together. It's a very easy situation to operate. You just push the buttons in right here on, on the two sides, the two little buttons. And all you do is push them in and that will release it. And what, right here, push the button in, that releases it. And then after you let go, it locks firmly in place. So really, you're all set. And this is tough. It is? Just, listen, give you an example. Say you have a, you know, you have to get up on the wall, high ceiling, vault right. the ceiling. Hey, listen, just walk right up. And I tell you, it's very safe, it's durable. And Girl, it's you're scaring me. So really, <laughs> see, now it's locked in place. Okay. So really, you say, "Oh, Carol, are you okay?" Actually, I didn't have it locked. You have to lock it. Once you lock it, you're okay. But it is very safe to operate. So continue to call for it. All righty. Well. I Carol, I hope you're okay. I love that even lying on the ground injured, please continue to call for it. Like he's going to do his job. You can't get him distracted from his job. What I'd love for you to walk away with today is that even if the position doesn't change, 
Even if I don't get to go to the school I wanted or get the job that I wanted, if it doesn't feel like I'm going up the levels of success that I wanted, that I can still advance in my levels of motivation to where my motivations are flowing from a higher and higher level of motivation, which makes a big difference. It makes all the difference. So if you're taking notes, the first reason we work, this is the most obvious one. If you're taking notes, you might write this in, is for necessity. It's to meet my needs. We work to meet our needs. We work to stay alive. The Bible says the one who stays on the job has food on the table. God also says that providing for my family is a spiritual responsibility. And we are to take care of our own families as best as possible. So when the pilgrims founded America, uh, they made a rule right off the bat, whoever's unwilling to work doesn't share in the meal. They had a common meal, and the rule was if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, where would they get an idea like that? 2 Thessalonians 3.10. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, I want you to notice with me this word unwilling. He's not saying the one who cannot work. He's saying the one who won't work. And sometimes you can't work. You're disabled, you're sick, you can't work. We help those who cannot work. But if you can work, he's saying you need to do your part. Everybody who can work is to work. Proverbs 28, 19. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. This is just the basic level of motivation. It's the survival level. It's the lowest motivation for why we work to meet my needs, to meet the need of the family. I got to go to school. It's a necessity for me to go to school, so I go to school. I got to get this done, so I get it done. Most basic motivation. But let's take a look at another level of motivation. The second motivation of work we get from Scripture is prosperity, to succeed financially. This is when I'm not working out of just wanting to stay alive, but I'm working out of prosperity that I want to succeed, and God is not opposed to prosperity. God is absolutely opposed to selfishness or to greed, but the Bible is full of, God will use anybody who's willing to be used. Use anyone who has faith. Anyone who, the poor, the rich, the in-between, some wealthy people God used in Scripture. Job, Abraham, David, Solomon, Lydia. God is not opposed to prosperity. He is opposed to selfishness, regardless of how much money we have or don't have. And what God is interested in is how you get it, how you spend it, and how you share it. Proverbs 13, chapter 13, verse 4. Let's read this one out loud together. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. God is not against prosperity, but he says it does need to have some parameters. In Proverbs 13, 11, uh, he says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So with each one of these motivations, I'm going to give you a question, a question that you can ask yourself to start employing this reason and this motivation uh, at your job or in your work or at your school, in the work of life. And that is, ask this, how does God want me to steward this? 
There are some things God wants you to do with your prosperity, with the money that you make. Things that he wants to do, that he, he bless, if you do these things, he'll bless you with more, he says. God is seen if you're trustworthy. And so these are some ways. How am I to steward this? These are, these are some ways we get from Scripture over and over and over again that God wants to, says this is how you steward it, this is how you get a blessing. One of them is, he says, to make money honestly. He says, I won't bless it if it's dishonest. He says, I won't bless it if you're ripping people off, if you're cheating people. you got to make it honestly. Secondly, he says, tithe it regularly. He says, if you want my blessing in your life, that means give the, the first part of it back to God. Why do I give it back to God? Why do I give a, a first tenth back to God? Because for starters, I'm grateful for what he's given me. So I'm grateful for the past. I realize that God has blessed me in the past to provide this for me. Secondly, it's my priority in the present to say, God, you are first. I'm putting you first. And if you're Lord of my life, that means you're first in every area of my life. That means my money. So I'm giving you, putting you first, giving to you first. And third, I'm thankful for the future. I have faith for the future that, God, you're my provider, that my provision comes from you, and that when God says, when you tithe, there's a covering on your life, a blessing, protection on your life. So I make it honestly, I tithe it regularly. Number three says, save it faithfully. The Bible has a lot to say about savings, investings, especially the book of Proverbs. That God just blesses it if you make that a priority. And then number four, spend it wisely. That means you're not everything is done on impulse, that there's some type of plan, that there's some type of wisdom and thought going into this, that we're not just following our whims. And God says, if you do those things, he says, there's a covering on your life, and I'll, I'll bless you. Now we're going to move up a little higher, level motivation for work. The third motivation for work is this, identity. To express my God-given S-H-A-P-E, my shape. God has wired each one of us uniquely to do some different things on this planet. We're all wired to do something different so that everything can get done, so the, the kingdom of God can come, be accomplished. So you, some are wired to be musicians, some are wired be great with numbers. Some of us are great at taking complex things and making them simple. And at Rockbrook, we call this your shape. It flows out of this acrostic. We actually have a whole step of the growth track to help you uh, discern and discover your shape. And you can discover, you can take those principles and put them into the marketplace, put them into your workplace, into your life, and discover your shape for work. So what is what is a shape? A shape is, starts out with your spiritual gifts. Those things that when you become a believer, God gives you that he wants you to use for his glory, wants you to use them in ministry to others, use for him. The heart, the H stands for heart. This is what gets you up in the morning. Your passions, what you're passionate about. What, is your, what drives you? The A stands for your abilities. The God-given talents, the skills that you've developed over the years that you can share with others, that you can use for good. The P stands for your personality. And we all have a different personality. You are unique. There is no one else just like you. And God can use your personality 
uh, to uh, affect and use for ministry and to make a difference in the workplace. And then E stands for our experiences. We all come into the room with experiences today. We're living life, seeing it through the the good things that have happened, the wounds that we carry, the disappointments that we've had. We've all had experiences in our life that we can use to minister and to help to uh, other people. Now, some people think that the goal of life, like the ultimate mission of life, is to do nothing. Some people think you've made it when you get to do nothing. If you can retire and do nothing, that's success, that you've made it. And they think the goal is to do nothing. The truth is, there is honor and dignity that results from legitimate work. There is no work that is undignified. I'm talking about legitimate work here, not like being a hitman or something like that, okay? I'm talking about legitimate work. There is no legitimate work that is undignified. That you could say, this is below my identity, or this, I can't, I can't express my shape through this thing. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So here's a question to ask this. Expressing your shape is far more than, than making money. It's a higher motivation. It's not even an earthly motivation. So ask this, how can I contribute to the mission? So like the mission of your workplace, do you know the mission statement for your school or the place that you work, uh, your company? Regardless of your task within it, how can you contribute? And how can you contribute in a way that's godly? Work, sometimes we do it for necessity, it's the most basic level. Then we do it for prosperity. It's not much higher, but we're moving up. Then we say we want to do it for identity to express who God created us to be. And as we move up, expression of who we're made to be, the fourth reason for work is responsibility. By that I mean to develop my character. God is far more interested in who you are than what you do. You will not take your career with you to heaven. You will not take a diploma, a degree, but you do take your character. So God is more interested in who you are. There's a lot of things you could do in life. Lots of different jobs, lots of different schools to attend, lots of different paths on this choose-your-own-adventure, endless things to get done. There's always more work to do. There's always more uh, to, to pour into our kids. There's always more work to happen. But God, what God's more interested in is who you're becoming while you're doing it. So God uses circumstances of life to grow your character. The, the primary circumstance he uses to grow your character is through your family. The marriage relationship especially is a school in learning to be unselfish and to, to grow character. Another major way is through our work. He uses our work, our school, our job as a testing ground. A great example of this in the Bible is Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was a guy in the Bible who had uh, the dream of becoming a great leader. It wasn't his dream. It was a God-given. God gave him the dream. It was a God-given dream. And then after that dream comes into place, everything goes wrong in his life. In fact, af after 40 years 
Like if he had that dream and then 40 years later he were to write a resume, the resume would look like this. I was betrayed. I was sold into slavery. I was the housekeeper in a house. I was a slave again. Then I was an assistant in prison. By the way, I was a prisoner while I was an assistant in prison, while I was there. And it's not a very good resume for someone who ends up being the leader of a great country, a major country. Had God forgotten the dream? No. The, what the Bible says is this in Psalm 105, 19. Until the time came to fulfill his word, the Lord tested Joseph's character. God is developing your character here on earth. And he's developing actually to prepare you for heaven. Life is preparation for eternity. This is why we are to have an eternal mindset. We talk about it so often. That we're not driven by the world. That this life is temporary. In fact, the Bible says this life is it's a mist, it's a vapor. It's at best like a blade of grass. And it's preparation for something much greater. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, whoever could be trusted with this temporary thing, whoever could be trusted with very little, could also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And he goes on in verse 11, so if any of you, or so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So some people throw up their hands and they say, well, it's not my business. I just work here. Uh, this wasn't school pathway I chose. I'm just forced to do it. But will you be faithful and trustworthy with someone else's property and with worldly wealth? While you're working on the job, God is working on you. And the most important thing that you bring home is not a grade, it's not a paycheck. The most important thing you bring home is who you are becoming. So we ask this question. How is God growing me? If you're taking notes, you might write this in. How is God growing me? Now, if you're out of work right now, you're looking for a job, maybe you're in one of those seasons of unemployment right now. Christians love to say that when God closes one door, he opens another. But I've found that until he opens another door, you're stuck in the hallway. And it's hard to be in the hallway, isn't it? And the hallway, though, can be a great opportunity for God to work on you. And when you commit your way to the Lord, he directs your steps and he may lead you into something to develop your character like Joseph in a way that you didn't think that's how it would go. But what God is doing in you is more important than what you're doing, the task that you're accomplishing. God is working on you while you're working on your work because he wants to give you more responsibility. So we have necessity, prosperity, identity, responsibility. Let's look at another motivation. Fifth motivation is credibility. And that is to witness to others. Your work is a witness to others, meaning the quality of work that you do. And it can open up doors for you to share your faith or it's just a good witness. Good work is a good witness. 
Our work demonstrates what we believe. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Take care of your own business and do your own work. If you do, then people who are not believers will respect you. Here's the key. This, this is so important, especially in reaching people who don't know Christ. Before your coworkers want to know if the Bible is real, they want to know if you are. They want to know if you're real. They want to know if you're the real deal. And whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, people are watching us and they want to see, are they the real deal? Because people are let down time and time again. There are so many fakes out there. There are so many things that are vying for their attention that say, this would be helpful, this is right, do this, this will help you, this is where you can find help, and then they're let down. It's not real. And they want to know, are you and I who we say we are? And our witness has to be backed up by our work because God wants us to be a light into the darkest places, the darkest places of people's lives. Matthew 5, verse 16 says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, what is the light that it's talking about here? You are the light. And you may work in a dark place. You may be in a classroom or a school or a thing where it's just heavy and dark. You may be in a place in the marketplace where it's just a dark place. How can you be a witness in a spiritually dark place like that? Well, your light shines brightest in the darkest room. And the question to ask here is, how can I shine? God scatters us throughout the darkest places to shine a light. So that when people see that light, when they see the good work that, they, that we do, they'll want to know about our faith. They'll want to know, well, how did this help you? How does this work for you? How can I shine? Necessity, prosperity, those are the financial motivations. Then we get into more spiritual motivations, identity, maturity, or responsibility, credibility. Now we come to the two highest motivations for work. Number six, the motivation of generosity, to give to others. If you want God's blessing on your life, I'm talking to a group of people that knows this full well. If you want God's blessing on your work, you've got to be generous. The more generous you are, the more God blesses your work. Why? Because God is looking for people to bless. It might as well be you. Have you ever been accidentally generous before and it like really blessed someone and then you're like, oh, well, that, that, that felt good. Uh, this always makes me laugh. Uh, Grant, let's put this up here. Strange new trend at the office. People putting names on food in the company fridge. Today I had a tuna sandwich named Kevin. God wants us to be like him, and God is a generous God. Everything I have in life is due to the generosity of God. Everything. So Ephesians 4, 28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Giving unlocks God's blessing on your life. In Deuteronomy chapter 8. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The Bible says to remember that God is the one who gave you that ability. The, the things that you have, 
the provision that you have. And so we honor God by being generous. We remember it all came from him in the first place. None of this is even here without God. And so we ask this question, what is God calling me to give? And if you're never asking, God, what can I give? You don't understand how much God has given for you. God gave Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it's not like God gave one time. It's the air that I'm breathing right now. The rain that comes, the sun that warms us up. He is giving, fashioning, upholding, having compassion on his people. Next, we come to the highest motivation for work. You can uh, work through for necessity and the drudgery of all of that. You can work up in these different levels, these different motivations. But I believe this one takes the most faith, but it's the most beneficial motivation. It's the highest motivation for work. It's the ultimate motivation, and that is to work, number seven, in light of eternity. What I mean by that is to prepare for heaven. It's more than just here and now. That day with the kids is more than just the day with that kids. The day on that job is more than just the day on that job. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing. It's what I'm doing to prepare for heaven. I'll show you this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 25. Everyone who runs in a race does many things so his body will be strong. He does it to get a crown that will soon be worth nothing. So he's talking about like Olympians here who uh, would, would, I mean, an Olympian works for 10, 15 years nonstop for that one moment, maybe one medal, one crown. He does it to get a crown that will soon be worth nothing, but we work for a crown that will last forever, last into eternity. And you could work for trophies on this planet, but given enough time, all the trophies are going to dissolve or fade away. So don't live in light of the worldly rewards. It says that we will get a crown that will last forever. Life is preparation for eternity. Work is preparation for eternity. And what you do is not nearly as important as why you do it. And God is looking at your heart, your motivation, who you're doing it for. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for God. Are you doing this with an attitude of faithfulness? To say, God, what are you doing through me? God, how can you make this happen in this temporary world? Or are you doing it for yourself? In fact, God says, I'm testing your faithfulness to even determine what roles, rewards, responsibilities you're going to get in heaven. I'll show you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, On the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. He's talking about our judgment at the end as for believers, as Christians. That, I'll make this very, very clear. There is no work you can do to get into heaven. 
There is nothing you can do to be saved. Jesus has done that work. And all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the worship, all the credit, all the boasting goes to him for doing that work. It's only by God trusting in God's grace that you get into heaven. But we see parables, so many parables. This passage in 1 Corinthians 3 that says that when you're in, God is going to reward you for your time on earth. That your time that you were saved, the time you were a believer. And you will be given in eternity. It's directly to, related to how you worked here on earth. How faithful you were in the work God gave you. The motivation. How you let God work on you and fashion you. And praise God, all the guilt, all the shame, all the bad things that should happen to you because of the grace of God will fall away. And you won't have to be rewarded or punished for those. And you get to be rewarded for the good things that you did in Jesus' name. How faithful you were in the work God gave you. Maybe you've never realized how important your work is before. You say, well, I don't do anything meaningful. I don't do anything important. I'm not a skilled worker. Anybody could do this. It's just chores. It's just tasks. But your work has far more significance than you may realize. It's not just necessity. It doesn't have to be driven by just necessity. God wants to use your work to grow these things for these motivations in your life. So what do I ask? Ask this question. Where is my reward? Where is my reward when it gets hard, when it gets tough? Where is my reward? When it feels like I'm being unrewarded, where is my reward? When it feels like this is all useless, well, where is my reward? And you continually ask that and be reminded of the great faith, the great hope we have and what God is doing in us and what he will reward us with. Would you pray with me, please? I feel like this was a lot today, a lot of fill-ins, a lot of verses. But let's just pray about what the Holy Spirit may be showing you. Would you pray this prayer in your heart and mind with me today? Dear God, I realize that while I'm working, you're working on me. And Father, I ask you to forgive me for taking the opportunity, the privilege uh, to work for granted when... Uh, Millions and millions and millions of people would love to be um, in my situation with family or a job. Just pray that to him today. Just be grateful today. Recognize what God has given you. And say to him, God, please use my work, whatever that looks like in this season of life right now, whether that's school or it's a focus on family or a career or the season of retirement. God, please use the work that I'm expected to do right now to develop my character. I want to express who you made me to be. I want to use my work for your good, your glory. Lord, I want to, I want to use it to help others, to serve others. And God, I want to use my work to prepare for serving your purposes in eternity. I realize that you uh, put me in the current place I am to be a representative to particular people in my work, in my family, my kids. And so, Jesus, I ask you to use my work to bless these people. I want to be faithful to you. 
Help me to remember where my reward is. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.